I'm Captain Kirk. Fascinating. <laughs> I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I said. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, Tronians, and things to episode 71 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman, and we're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve? Oh, the Muppets and Star Trek. We've been doing one-to-one reviews of the Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And tonight we're covering the Muppet Show with special guest stars, plural, that's right, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, and Star Trek original series episode, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. And before we move on to something, Steve, I just want to mention, uh, I saw part of an art exhibit over the weekend, and there was this thing available. People were talking about it. It was buzzing because it was Statler and Waldorf made from, like, some kind of strange different materials and clay and, like, real hair and stuff. And I saw them. It looked amazing. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to surprise Steve and get this for him because I'm making a little bit more money these days. I can finally pay him back for all those wonderful gifts him and his wife have given me over the years. But I get there and it was $500. I'm like, nope, maybe next time. <laughs> <laughs> nah, dude. Human hair? That's a, I mean. I just think it was human hair. It was like probably like, like, like cloth hair, but it yeah, looked like really cool. Hair or something. It was a really cool artistic rendering of Statler and Waldorf. And it just looks so cool. But nope, you're not getting it. Sorry. <laughs> well, that sounds like a cool sentiment, but a creepy piece of art. <laughs> so why don't you tell us about the guest stars on the show this week, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans? Well, Roy Rogers, well, he was known as the King of the Cowboys. Being an early star of the Western genre, he became a star of screen and radio, even had his own show, The Roy Rogers Show, for a while. Never far from his side was his horse trigger, his dog bullet, and his lovely wife, Dale Evans. Uh, Dale Evans, a singer and performer herself predominantly for radio, her and Roy met on on set and fell in love. Hmm. It was her fourth marriage and his third. Oh, wow. They had a few children from prior marriages, but only had one child together. Their daughter, Robin Elizabeth, she actually died at two years old uh, Mm. from complications from Down syndrome. And Dale uh, Dale Evans wrote a book about it, Angel Unaware, I believe, um, that gained this huge following. And she became a figurehead in changing the public's perception when it came to children with mental disabilities. Okay, gotcha. She became this like this sudden cultural icon for this. Um, but what does our audience know them from? Unless you're into old westerns or gospel television, <laughs> likely not much. Strangely, my connection was uh, the Three Amigos does not have Happy Trails, Dale Roy Rogers' song in there, but a song uh-huh. that's basically parodying that song. And I remember asking my parents about that song, They're like, "Oh, that's basically making fun of the Roy Rogers song, Happy Trails." And so I downloaded that song off Napster and I had it on my iPod for a long time. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my connection to Roy Rogers that's about it. Uh, but everyone's heard at least one of these songs. Some of them are truly American classics. And some of them we get to even listen to this week on this week's episode of the show. That's right. Backstage this week uh, to honor the guests. The entire show goes cowboy. Backstage, Roy Rogers has ordered cows for the closing number. Uh, him and Kermit get to do a little bit of singing in the dressing room, and they talk about Roy's 189 films yeah, and how he has never played a villain. Fozzie can later be seen telling cow jokes to the cows, and they absolutely love it. <laughs> On stage, Kermit comes out in, com- in uh, cowboy attire and introduces the opening number. We're greeted by a desert prairie filled with gophers who pop up from their holes and collectively sing Blue Skies. It's adorable. 
Next, Roy Rogers hits the stage and sings about a horse named Skyball Paint, and we get a sweet taste of Roy Rogers' iconic yodeling. Following this, we get a wild world of Muppet sports uh, where it's horseshoe throwing, but they forget to detach the horses from the shoes. A good chuckle. Uh, hitting the stage after this is Dale Evans. She performs deep in the heart of t- Texas with a fiddler and Bobby Benson's baby band that German thinks is really creepy. She changes the lyrics, making the babies howl like coyotes and neigh like horses. Even worse. Uh, in the UK spot, so something that American audience didn't get to see initially, uh, is two cowboys riding cows, which they called they call hosses. And they sing a song called Four-Legged Friends, which is them making fun of the fact that their horses are cows. We get a bear on patrol uh, with Link as the sheriff and Fozzie as his deputy. And some no good is in town looking for Sheriff Link. The place gets shot up and the scoundrel makes his entrance. Link hides under his desk, but Fozzie tricks him into a holding cell. For once, Fozzie does something right. I know. In that segment, he does it right. Uh, next, it's time for a horse race as Cowboys line up until one of them hits himself on the post as this horse takes off without him. Finally, we get Roy and Dale on stage on the range around a campfire. They sing a medley of their best hits, including Hazy Mountain, El Rancho Grande, Tumbling Tumbleweeds, and finally Happy Trails. Uh, Kermit thanks Roy and Dale and asks Roy to do him a favor and sign off. And he does apparently his famous sign off, which was... Until we meet again on the screen or in person, goodbye, good luck, and may the good Lord take a liking to you. <laughs> I and hope the Lord doesn't hate you. <laughs> is what we call the Muppet Show. <laughs> so, Jarman, what did you think of Roy Rogers and Dale Evans on the Muppet Show? Well, I was kind of traumatized early on by seeing Dale Evans and hearing her on screen just because uh, she reminded me of all the old ladies I would see at church as a kid with the huge hair and Way too she much is perfume. every old lady from church and warbly singing voice. Yeah, like that was like she's yeah. <laughs> Anyways, but Roy Rogers was also delightful, and she she was also delightful. It's just that just kind of triggered me a little bit there with that. And uh, <laughs> both of them seemed to be perfectly at ease with the, the Muppets, like they're just used to it somehow. Like it was just comfortable. Um, I think it's one of those situations where both of them have performed so many times with so many people in so many locations and done these exact same songs yeah. over and over. This is the exact performance they would have put on no matter who was on that stage with them, whether they're imaginary creatures they're, or not. Right. They're consummate professionals in that they would treat this exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. They look completely at ease and comfortable. It was kind of interesting just to watch that happen. Um, and I like the idea, the fact that the whole episode was converted into a country Western kind of sec thing. And they even called it like the, Absolutely. the Muppet country hour or something like that at the beginning. Um, and the, the talk segment you didn't mention with uh, Roy Rogers and Kermit. Uh, that is, was them backstage. I mentioned it, but. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah, but it, it wasn't quite an on the wall, but as close as we've gotten in a while. Right. And I just like, I love that Kermit was like trying to learn how to sing from him. And then he starts yodeling and he's like, you know what? I'll just be the villains because they don't sing. I'll, I'll be a black cat. Sing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but those damn babies, I hate them. <laughs> Every time they trot those babies out. <laughs> no, as soon as I saw them, I was like, oh, Jarman's not going to like this. And I remember Jolie, my girlfriend, was watching it with me. And she was just like, what are those supposed to be babies? I'm like, yes, they're terrifying. I hate them. Make them go away. The evil little potato demons. <laughs> potato demons. That's absolutely right. That's what Russian people are afraid of. Potato right. demons. Potato demons. <laughs> but uh, I, I overall, I'm giving a, a middling episode status because it's not bad at all. But it's not like a thing that stands out hugely to me. Um, what about you? I think that 
you know, when I think of the the other episode that basically followed this exact same pattern was uh, who is it? Rita Coolidge and oh, um, Chris Christopherson. Yes, yes, yes. Followed this exact thing where we got like a performance just from him, a performance just from her, a performance together. Nice sign off. But I feel like this was done really well in the <laughs> as opposed to that one because they had an, oh, that overall theme you mentioned, mm-hmm. which made everything very strong and fit very well regardless. Um, they're each huge stars in their own right. And so because of that, I think they utilized them well. Right. Even though they were a very niche act. Yeah, they played up to that niche, whereas there's not really a niche for Rita Coolidge and um, Chris Christopherson. Right. It's kind of cool, I guess. But time. I feel like they've had other niche kind of performers that have not come out well. Uh, yes, true. Like, Ed, like Edgar Bergen, Ugh. Uh, who just <laughs> ended up being one of our absolute least favorites because he had this shtick and they kind of like didn't do it, kind of, or they did it too much, as I remember it. And I think it's um, disturbing to have like a different kind of puppet on the Muppet show who just said it doesn't work. <laughs> that was weird. And it felt like this was sort of the polar opposite of Bob Hope mm. who just, it was, he wasn't in enough of it. He wasn't utilized well for what he was in. He really seemed like he was almost not there. So to have these two other like absolute iconic legends do it right. was like, Oh, it can be done. Right. Yeah. Bob Hope, come on. I mean, he's been in hundreds of films, too, at that point. But what the hell's wrong with him? He couldn't be right, comfortable right. around some Muppets. <laughs> Come on, Bob. I feel like they have, like, you know, lots of grandkids they hang out with all the time. They seem like that kind of people. You know, <laughs> they just like, love little toys and they liked having fun with it. All right. Well, the music this week on the Muppet Show is extra special. Blue Skies, written by Irving Berlin. And it was a last minute addition to the musical Betsy. And the show didn't do that well, having only 40 performances. But the song became an instant hit. Uh, deep in the heart of Texas, I couldn't find anything interesting about Skyball Paint, so we're just skipping it. It has yodeling <laughs> in it. Yeah, apparently. Deep in the heart of Texas, lyrics by June Hershey and music by Don Swander. A lot of people believe it's the state song of Texas, but it isn't. That would be Texas, our Texas. Oh. Uh, the UK spot, A Four-Legged Friend, is by Jack Brooks, actually a UK songwriter who came to Hollywood and wrote lyrics for many popular songs, including that's Amore. Ah, same guy. Uh, there's a brief singing of froggy when it's an English folk song that has, uh, that's on record as early as 1580. Wow. And finally we get a four song sort of medley, hazy mountain, El Rancho Grande, tumbling tumbleweeds, and finally happy trails. This is sort of a best of for both Roy and Dale happy trails being the most notable of all the songs as this was the sign off song for their radio show and later television show, the Roy Roy Rogers show. That's why it was so popular. Yep. So Jordan, what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment this week? Um, I'm not sure about you, but I have to give it, even though there wasn't a lot of set necessarily, but the damn prairie dog singing blue skies, because it was like pop goes the weasel, but time with the music and they're dancing. There had to be at least eight people under stage because it was, or no, four, because there was eight hands or eight puppets. There probably was more. I don't know, but that was nuts. No, I agree. The, the coordination alone is something that we don't get to see in a lot of Muppet show episodes. So it's extra impressive. Yeah, that was nuts. <laughs> So agreed. Best Muppet cheering moment, the Gophers. Absolutely. Check it out online, folks, or on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> so, German, what happened on this week's episode of the original series? So this week we have Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, and we have the Enterprise on its way to decontaminate a polluted planet named Arianus, 
or Arianus. They say <laughs> Arianus, it different ways. Yeah. <laughs> but suddenly they detect a rogue Federation sh- shuttlecraft, and apparently whoever is on board is losing consciousness. So they tractor beam in that shuttle and find an alien in distress on it who passes out, and they have to. And it has black on one side of its face and white on the other side of its face. Um, and then they have the, doc- the Dr. Bones. He tries to investigate the alien, figure out what the hell it is. They've never seen it before. Um, but he wakes up and he's very belligerent and said he doesn't want to talk anymore. And he's being chased. And he didn't steal the shuttlecraft. He's just using it to get away from someone. And they're like, OK. But suddenly an invisible craft is detected approaching the Enterprise. A tiny little scout ship, apparently, that they can't see physically. And that's because they had no budget third season. <laughs> that's why they did that. <laughs> um, and it collides with the Enterprise and disintegrates. But before I can do that, um, the person on board is another half-white, half-black alien, beams himself onto the bridge. He says his name is Bele or Bell or – they pronounce it several different ways, as Stephen mentioned before. Kurt calls it Beal at one point. Beal. Um, and, and this guy is now claiming the person they pulled on board earlier is named Lokai and that he's a traitor that he's been searching for for 50,000 years. So this guy is super old. Um, he convinces Kirk to let him see Lokai in sickbay. Uh, but once they get there, they just argue about the history of their people. And Lokai says that Bele is people enslaved his and oppressed them for thousands of years. And he's just a revolutionary. He's trying to get people to rise up against them. Uh, but Bele demands that Kirk take them straight to Sharon, their home planet, so that Bele can stand uh, so that uh, Lokai can stand trial for his crimes of treason. Uh, but Kirk refuses because he says they don't they don't have an agreement with that. They're planet Sharon because they're outside of the Federation. So they're uh, and plus they're on a time sensitive mission to Arianus and uh, billions of lives are at stake. So Bele uses some kind of superpowers to take control of the ship and take them to Sharon. It's not really explained how he does that Unclear. So, with his mind somehow. Um, but Kirk can still talk to the computer. So Bele just sits there for some reason and lets Kirk and the rest of his crew slowly talk the computer through a very long process of self-destructing the ship. Um, and within less with less than 10 seconds left before it blows up, Bele concedes and he hands control the ship back over to Kirk. Um, for some reason, Kirk doesn't then just put them both in the brig and they are given free reign of the ship. Why not? Uh, <laughs> I could put you in the brig, but I'm not going to do I'm that. Not gonna do he that. literally says it out he loud. He does. I don't know why, but I'm not going <laughs> to. Uh, he tells them that they will have to go to the nearest star base first after they finish their mission at Arianus and he'll let them plead their case uh, with, with the Federation. Um, it's then that we learn why Bele hates Loki so much is because they, Loki's people, are black on one side and white on the other side, whereas his people, Bele's people, are the opposite, white on one side and black on the other side. So obviously Loki is inferior to him and can never change his ways. He'll always be inferior and terrible. So <laughs> obviously Spock tries to point out the ridiculousness of this, and um, but since Bele refuses to talk things through, uh, Bele sabotages the ship, or as Kirk says in this episode, famously, he sabotages the ship, uh, the ship's computer, so that it cannot be self-destructed anymore, and he takes control of it again, but only after the Enterprise has already saved the planet of Ariana. It's very considerate of him. So Bele brings the ship all the way back to their planet of Sharon, and once they're there, they realize that they've been gone so long that the entire planet has already destroyed itself. There is not a single intelligent life form left on the planet. So at that point... Uh, uh, Lokai makes a run for it to the transporter room. Bele chases after him in a very long, weird sequence. They run through the entire ship a, a long time, and they both beam down to the planet, never to be heard from again. 
And the people on, left in the ship, Kirk and Spock and all them say, well, that's too bad. I hope they get along eventually. But apparently in the books, Bele and Loki end up taking homes on the opposite poles of the planet, just avoiding each other entirely. But and eventually in a comic book, Bele randomly shows up on a mythical utopia planet that they thought didn't exist. And the Enterprise D finds it, Picard and all them. And he has no recollection of his life before arriving there. And the black and white sides of his face have switched for unknown reasons. So it seems like some serious shit went down on this planet of Sharon uh, since that time. But that's the only other things in all of Star Trek canon where these guys are ever mentioned again. Uh, but that's uh, let that be your last battlefield. So, Steve, what would you think of it? <laughs> so before we get into this, I just have a question for you. Okay. Is this widely considered one of the best episodes? I don't think so. I think it's considered a very poignant episode because of the, the blatant point it was trying to make, but not necessarily one of the best Star Trek episodes. If I, I, yeah, I can. Okay. I just wanted to take, cause I just wanted to know if I had picked right. Cause this is easily my favorite of season three. Very nice. Very nice. Easily. My favorite of season three, well acted, well written, well executed, even for what essentially equates to a bottle episode. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Super successful, great acting from the guests, which is not always the case. Very true. Uh, and Shatner's Kirk was on point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is really Kirk-y on point acting sometimes, but yeah. Well, he had to play a lot of weird positions and a lot of bluffs and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, all right. So let's get to the real review. Things I liked. Beale, Bailey, Billy, whatever the hell's name was. <laughs> Seriously, listen to it, folks. They call him five different things for the episode. Uh, was a great, and I hesitate to use the word villain, because really him and the other guy were collectively the antagonist. Right. But he is the one that took the villainous actions of taking over the ship and then playing his cards slow and then disabling the self-destruct so he could eventually get his way. He acted as the villain. Right. And he was great. One of the best we've had in all of Star Trek and certainly season three. Absolutely. Um, I love the self-destruct thing where Kirk's like, fine, I'll blow it up. <laughs> I'll blow the whole damn thing away. I don't care. Uh, whatever. Um, was really good and very well played. And you can see the whole crew was ready to go along with it, which was extra impressive. And then you even mentioned it where he's the, the thing I found funny where he was like, I could send you to your quarter to, to the brig, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> because I think that after seeing his power, Kirk doesn't want to press his luck. Mm, that's smart. That's true. It really seems like Kirk is giving them an out. Yeah. And then he pulls the ultimate political or like the, you know, ambassadorial card of like, you can spend time with my crew or the best ambassador Starfleet could have. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I took that as like very clear writing and, and maybe I'm giving Kirk slash Shatner too much credit, but I oh. thought that was great. Thought that was great. Um, and I think the third thing you said, the poignancy of the episode, normally St- Star Trek has had these episodes where they try to make a philosophical point mm-hmm. and they just mess it up <laughs> <laughs> or like ultimately the analogy doesn't make sense or it falls apart. And this time they really nailed it. The writers really nailed it. Yeah. You and know, the you, there's no getting home. around what they're trying to get at pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And, and and the the ending was such, I don't know, good a good surprise. Like, I didn't see that coming. That they just I should have. All the clues were there, which made it extra impressive. 
that they're like, we've been gone for 50,000 years. Like, that should have been the clue, like, oh, no, nah, their world's gone. <laughs> yeah, nothing's, nothing's going on there. <laughs> um, some things I disliked or struggled with. Of all the things that Bones and Kirk and Spock have seen, all the weird stuff, they literally can't mentally reconcile a guy who's half black and half white. <laughs> they're like, he is a one-of-a-kind freak. <laughs> there could not possibly be another being like him that has ever existed or ever will exist. We've seen a monster made of silicone rock, but no, this thing. Right. They were just one of those things like of everything they've seen, they're like, no, this is an absolute. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of I odd. know it was to set up the fact this other guy was going to show up. Like, I get that that's what they were setting up, but it was too thick. It was they could have had like thick. one or two lines like, oh, this is unusual. But say I was saying it was like impossible. Oh, be <laughs> is, do we have any beings like this on our records? No, Captain. None that the Federation has encountered. Fascinating. Bam. There you go. Done. <laughs> um, Ill-defined powers. You know, that's one of my bugaboos. They never really go into why <laughs> this guy is just able to will the ship to do what he wants. They've got force fields that apparently burn up things around them, maybe kind of and smart enough to somehow get into a computer system and disable a self-destruct mechanism. Mm -hmm. It's just very unclear. And I am a little bit now, mind you, they did it in clear imply through the whole thing that they're very powerful. Right. Like the once they get to the like, I've been chasing her for 50,000 years. You clearly not know this is not just some dude. And Bones even says when he's first inspecting the guy, he's like, this is a his like body's working at top proficiency or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. And um, once they decontaminated the planet, because mm -hmm. that was the whole subplot of this, this episode was they've got to get to this planet to decontaminate it and save a billion people. Right. Um, once they did that, which happened about two thirds of the way or maybe halfway through the episode, it really deflated the sort of ticking time bomb aspect mm. of this. And so I think that it, they could have saved it to the end and kept it a race against the clock. That's true. To resolve this thing. And it would have heightened the tension. Yeah. More urgency throughout. More urgency. But I think by putting it at like the half to two third point, I was like, oh, okay. Glad they have time to resolve this now. Because then they could have dropped, the guys could have transported themselves off to the planet Sharon, and they would have been like, well, we want to stay and help them or investigate or get them, moderate them, but we can't. We got to go back to this planet real quick because they're going to die. Yeah, so, and all it would take would be the one line, like, Kirk, Kirk to uh, Mr. Spock, do we still have time to make it? If we hit maximum warp, hit it, Spock. That's absolutely true. <laughs> Uh, well, this was one of the, I have to say, this is a very unique episode for me. It's one of the first, it's probably the first episode of Star Trek I may have ever seen was this episode. Wow. Okay. I watched it with my parents probably when I was around 12 years old. Um, it was on some random TV station and my mom knew of this episode and she explained the symbolism to me because I must have been a pretty dense kid and I get it, but she explained it to me. And when she did, I was like, oh, wow. Cause, oh, cause he's half white. Oh, it's talking about race. Oh, I get it. Um, and that's when she also told me that she was able to see Gene Roddenberry at a talk back when she was in college. And I was like, oh, so my mom's like kind of like Star Trek a little bit. But I didn't start really watching it till after college. Um, but 
So this episode has a huge nostalgia factor for me because I had that connection with my mom and the, being the first episode of Star Trek that really introduced me to Star Trek, which is crazy. Um, and then I had, through the years, other podcasts I've heard, people kind of downplayed this episode a lot. But I have a huge nostalgia factor for this episode, so I can't really – I have goggles on and that let me see if it's really good or bad. The only thing I've recognized is that some of the scenes go on a long time when they don't need to. Like the whole self-destruct sequence is really drawn out. And becomes kind of silly because why didn't he just stop them from from saying the words that they were saying if he has all this power? Right. Um, and then and also like the running scene at the end where they're chasing after each other just goes on and on. Okay. That scene <laughs> had what must have been a script. And I know exactly what they did. Because how many times did you see running cameras in that era? Mm. Like uh, ever. Never. Like much. the camera rigs were so big and heavy. Like you never saw shots like that. But if you look at the guys, they're kind of running like idiots. They're like, running very right, strangely. Yes. But if you look at a few of the shots, they're both of them have a hand outreach and they're holding a rope. Oh, and the rope is obviously tied to the camera rig or maybe the cameraman. Then they and it's to tell them their distance. That makes sense. Which is why they look like idiots because they're not actually <laughs> running at full speed because the camera couldn't possibly move that fast. <laughs> The rig. So they're like uh, holding this rope and drooping their arms. They look this, so weird okay. when they're running. Like, why are they running so the strangely? Running. Well, the best part is, is that right before that, the guy who, I don't, the guy who played Be- Beale, Bailey, Beale, um, <laughs> sprints. And I mean, really runs fast through one of the corridors. And I was like, man, I don't know if we've ever seen someone run that fast on Star Trek. <laughs> and then the next shot is them doing that run at the camera <laughs> thing. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, I had to mention because of that, um, this will kind of transition into trivia, but the, that running sequence. Um, <laughs> so the two actors playing that those parts, uh, they collided with one another during that sequence because neither actor knew that the other was striding down the opposite ends of the corridor because the camera crew hadn't warned them that the scenes were being shot simultaneously <laughs> because of time constraints. <laughs> so they had both filming the co- coming down opposite corridors and they ran into each other because they were filming at the same time. Yeah, rewatch the scenes. You will see they both have like one hand out in front and on a few yeah. of the shots you can see the rope. That is too funny, but... So overall, though, I had to give it high marks for season three, especially. And overall, it was one of my top episodes back in the show called 10 Forward Podcast. They used to do a thing called Desert Island Trek, and they you kind of take one episode from each of the Star Trek series. And this is the, one of the ones I picked from the old uh, the original series. So I was just like, it's got that nostalgia factor. And I think it's a great message. It can still be used today. You know, so is that where you met Paul Wright and Daniel Peter Hitch? I think so. Yeah, that's when I first heard of those guys. Yeah, and Is it Sean also where you met Sean Vanderloo. That's right. Bam! Name drop, gentlemen. <laughs> oh man! So some trivia for this episode. We already said one of them, but uh, the original story concept did not depict the aliens with bicolored skin. One was a devil with a tail, and the other was an angel for some reason. Uh, but episode uh, director Judd Taylor, thankfully, came up with the idea of the bicolored skin shortly before the episode began filming. Uh, his original uh, suggestion was that they be half black, half white, one color from the waist up and the other from the waist down, which I don't know how they would have revealed that without having their clothes off. <laughs> this is really strange. Right. It just would have been like tight shorts and tank tops I guess, all around. Um, the central idea stuck, but the colors were finally separated along the vertical axis rather than along the horizontal. And because of that, of course, they're both depicted wearing gloves the whole episode. And that was because you don't want to see them 
there would be they'd be smearing makeup over everything. The yeah, their hands have so. been terrible to deal with. And occasionally you can see the the break in the sleeve and the gloves and the actors, and you see like just the regular pink skin sticking out. It's it happens in the HD. Um, the funny part though is you might have noticed a very weird jarring thing they haven't done in any other episode, which was zooming in and out on the red alert light in this episode. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And that's because they're doing that in honor and slash making fun of Frank Gorshin, the guest star, because he plays the Riddler on the, the Batman Riddler. TV series. Yeah. And so it was that's a thing they do a lot in that show is this quick zoom in and out thing. Um, so that was only in this episode of Star Trek. He's North. also the bad guy in Meteor Man. Was he? Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. He plays like the old white guy. I He's forgot the real about villain. that. He did have some roles even farther down the line. But yeah, yeah so that's our little trivia there. So we got any uh, Trek Connection Muppet Connections this time? Oh, do we? Well, the song Blue Skies featured in this week's Muppet Show was also featured in Star Trek Nemesis and was sung by Data. Oh, very nice. Uh, Sherry Jackson, actress who played the role of Andrea in the original series episode, where uh, where. What are little girls made of? There we go. Uh, she was also in a 1952 episode of the Roy Rogers show mm. called Unwilling Outlaw, where she played Lucy Collins. I don't know who that is, but. <laughs> uh, and then Bill Ketching played antimatter Lazarus being number two in the original series episode, The Alternative Factor. Well, he played a henchman in six different Roy Rogers show episodes. Wow. <laughs> they get around. Matter Lazarus being number two. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So similarities. These episodes were just uh, the same damn thing, to be perfectly honest. I, yeah, I did. I had to get my eyes checked. So I mean, I watched watch the same thing twice. <laughs> twice in a row. I mean, because both the cows and cowboys take over the whole show um, of The Muppet Show, just like the two Sharonians. took over the enterprise completely (laughs) all right both feature uh people being hunted or pursued loci is being pursued by bailey and sheriff link hogthrob is being pursued by the rough and villainous cowboy bullets barker oh i put a similar thing because loci complains of bailey's people enslaving and oppressing his people just as link hogthrob is oppressed and branded like a slave by the cowboys Okay, because he was—that's backstage, Link Hog. Yeah, that's that is that's the backstage plot. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, both feature people unable to get where they're they need to be going. The Enterprise getting redirected to Charon, and Slim Wilson getting stuck on a sign on like a post when he's trying to ride Skyball Paint. <laughs> Same episode, basically. Same episode. <laughs> oh, what's that noise? Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. All right, here's the part of the show where we transport one character from one episode to the other and vice versa. So what you got for us, Steve? This week, Treks to Muppets, I'm bringing over Loki and Bailey, Beal, to replace Link Hogthrob and Bullets Barker with Loki, Loki uh, hiding under a desk and Fozzie attempting to lure Bailey into a, into like a trap. Very nice. Well, because I'm having Bailey and Loki come over to replace Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. <laughs> <laughs> so they'd be trying okay. to sing happy trails together and get into a terrible fight and chase each other all over the Muppet and their show. Force sets. fields go off That's and it right. threatens to destroy the Muppet theater. All the felt just goes up in flames. <laughs> ah! uh, Muppets to Trek. I've got bringing over two of the cows to replace Loki and Bailey. <laughs> They inexplicably hate each other, but everyone on board doesn't understand because they're just both cows. <laughs> I love that. I watched that. They just hate each other. <laughs> uh, so this is kind of cheating because Sam the Eagle wasn't in this episode, 
but I'd love for him to come over and replace Bele and for Floyd to replace Loki. <laughs> Because it would okay. basically be a super conservative tight ass chasing down a rebellious hippie. And I love that idea. <laughs> uh, interesting mention. Miss Piggy, not really in this episode, oh which my is God. extremely rare. You're right. Extremely not at all. rare. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize like that. she's in the pre-recorded intro stuff. But, you know, beyond that. now, Right. That's true. Huh. Good notice there. But I guess that brings us to the end of episode 71 of the Muppet, the Muppet Trek podcast, if I can say that. <laughs> Join us next time for The Muppet Show with special guest Lynn Redgrave. An original series Star Trek episode, The Mark of Gideon. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Muppet Trek podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. Uh-huh.